This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Anyone trying to get a mortgage or a loan is aware of the importance of a high FICO score. Well, there may be some good news for consumers with less than perfect credit. The Fair Isaac Corporation has created a new system called the Ultra FICO that factors in how people manage cash in their various accounts, like checking, savings, or their money market. With more information, the goal is for more people to qualify for loans, including not only those who currently have imperfect credit, but some of the millions who don't even have FICO scores. So is this a great thing for consumers, for the economy, or will it encourage risky lending practices? Ben Keyes is an assistant professor in the real estate department here at the Wharton School. He's also a faculty research fellow for the National Bureau of Economic Research. And joining us on the phone, Christopher Peterson, who's an endowed professor of law at the University of Utah's Quinney College of Law and also a former special advisor in the office of the director at the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Ben, great seeing you again. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you. me. Thank you. Chris, great to have you with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. So, Chris, give us your sense on the potential importance of having this new ultra FICO score. Well, I think it's a significant new development. FICO uh, has been the sort of industry leader in providing scoring for credit reporting data, and they're reaching out and creating a new sort of model that's going to include information on transactions that are going through your bank accounts. That's not something they have historically had in the past, and it's going to expand the num- the amount of data and trade lines they have, reach some new customers, and also provide some new types of information that will um, allow lenders to predict whether or not you're going to repay your debts. Ben, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just to echo what, what Chris said, I think the you know, the name of the game here is is a more accurate prediction of, of risk. And if you look at what has gone into a credit score. In the past, a lot of people have misconceptions about what's in their credit score. Um, so first, you know, I strongly recommend that people take a look at their credit score regularly, right. and you can do that through the FTC uh, annualcreditreport.com website, or you can sign up for other uh, websites as well. But what's in there now are, are things like your payment history, um, paying certain types of credit on time, not things like your utility bills or your rent, um, although there's m- movements in those directions. How much do you owe on your credit accounts? Yeah. Um, and how long have you had those credit accounts? And those are the biggest things. Um, and, and so what they're doing, I think, going forward is they're trying to enrich this data base a bit um, and in doing so try to predict default more accurately. Um, and what that means is that they can take some people who previously um, didn't look like they were very creditworthy risks from the mm-hmm. perspective of a lender and thanks to this additional information, shift them into the other category. Uh, what the what the news articles about this uh, story are are emphasizing is the positive shift, shifting sure. people into the yep. the good news. But um, but of course, more information can mean bad news as well, um, and some consumers will likely be harmed by this um, additional provision of information. That was going to be my next question, Chris, because I mean, obviously, this can't be just a a one way path here to, for a better score. Some people who maybe are carrying more debt on their accounts may be, I would think, negatively impacted. I think that's right. So people who may be uh, overdrawing their checking accounts or have very minimal or spotty savings records with their savings accounts could potentially be negatively affected by this scoring model. And I, I agree that, that you know, that's not the way that uh, FICO and Experian are selling this. They're trying to 
get everybody to think, oh, this is this wonderful new thing. And I mean, it's complicated. The, the, some people, this is going to make it more clear that they're not credit worthy. Um, I also think that there are some concerns about privacy and the potential for emboldening some risky forms of higher cost lending that are also lingering concerns that, that, that are maybe worth discussing. Well, take us deeper into what you think there. Well, I mean, for one thing, you know, right now, so many different businesses are hoovering up data about us all the time in all the different walks of our lives. We're all carrying around these smartphones that track in detail so many of our uh, of our interactions with companies, with our families and friends, and, and even geographically where we're at at any given time. And this is just another sort of step along, uh, you know, gathering more data about us, you know, including how much money we have in our bank accounts, what our payment patterns are, our spending history, whether or not we overdraw our checking accounts. That's just more information that's getting sucked up into the, um, you know, the, the, the data brokerage industries that sell this information to interested parties. And that has some harmful consequences. It can affect our privacy. And what's more, one of the biggest problems that we're facing in our commercial relationships now is identity theft. And I worry whether or not this might be another sort of risk factor in exposing our information to hackers what I find interesting, Ben, in some of the reporting is that this is being presented as a way for lenders to be able to actually lend more, which is probably part of of the story here. But we've seen a run-up in terms of the amount of lending that, that has gone on and the amount of debt that people are carrying you know, in the wake of the recession 10 years ago. So the question is almost... Are we at a point where maybe we don't need to press this issue right now and continue to keep things to a degree status quo as seemingly we've done pretty well the last few years? Yeah, I mean, we, this is something we've actually talked about in the past. You know, the pendulum pendulum of lending, um, especially in the mortgage space, has really swung from being extremely loose in the mid-2000s to, to being quite tight. And if you just look at the... Uh, the FICO scores required to get a mortgage. You know, the median FICO score was about 700 um, around 2000 and 2001, and now it's about 750. So you need a much stronger um, credit history to uh, to qualify for a mortgage these days. Um, and I and I think it's it's interesting in thinking about you know why we're seeing this push for uh, for a change to FICO now. I think there are a couple of of reasons. So one is that um, there's a fairly widespread perception that mortgage credit is too tight. Right now, and if you look at the default rates among loans that are um, backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it's under one percent of loans are are delinquent, and that's a phenomenally low, historically low, uh, delinquency rate. And so I think there's a lot of pressure um, to expand the credit box, find ways to bring other people in, and you're, then you begin to think about the the sort of private market competition that they're going to face, um, especially if Fannie and Freddie are uh, are sort of uh, shrunk in the coming years, yeah. uh, which a lot of people think. Think is coming, and and then on top of that, you have FICO um, really facing some some strong competition from uh, from the credit bureaus. Um, so Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are the three credit bureaus, and they've developed their own credit scoring systems called the Vantage Score. Um, it does a lot of the same kind of things that the FICO score does. They've been putting a lot of pressure um, to expand the mortgage operations of of a lot of the lenders, and then uh, Fannie and Freddie. 
um, to use these alternative scores. And all of this is really trying to bring more information to bear. Um, and so there's some interesting competitive pressures that are, I think are pushing uh, on the FICO score. And c- to Chris's point, this increased competition for yeah. uh, for information can can lead to some of these potential uh, you know potential downsides. And Chris, I was going to say more competition, but also more potential business for some of these companies as well. I suppose that's true. Uh, I mean, the people that purchase the data, of course, are not consumers by and large. Sometimes consumers are paying to get access to the information that's collected about them or to the scores that are sort of constructed from the information that's collected about them. But the, the, the thing about this market is that it doesn't function in quite the same way that we normally think about uh, pricing markets where, you know, there's a buyer and a seller of, say, a good or a service. Here, there's a buyer and a seller, and the buyer and seller are both big businesses, but you are the commodity that is being, you know, has, has information being collected about you. Right. And, uh, you know, historically, that, you haven't had any say in whether or not that information um, is collected about you. They just do it. Um, here, they're trying to sell the, the FICO Ultra Score as being, um, uh, how are they saying? I think it's uh, uh, consumer permissioned, meaning that the consumers are going to grant their consent to collect this additional information. Uh, but I'm a little bit skeptical about whether or not consumers are going to have a robust sort of, um, you know, level of, of voluntariness here. I wonder whether or not this is not something that's just going to get slipped into form, you know, boilerplate contracts that people don't read. And before you know it, there's just a, another sort of big pot of data out there that's being collected on everyone. Um, I yeah. think there's some positive features to this, but there are also some drawbacks, too. Ben? Yeah, I completely agree. I was very skeptical of uh, of the claim that applicants will be able to choose uh, which accounts will be considered and, and sort of granting permission. Um, seems like the kind of thing where you'll check the box at the bottom of the website saying, you agree to all of the small font uh, disclosures that you didn't actually read. So, yeah, I, I really worry about that as well. Um, I, and I think more broadly, the, the dream here for, for lenders and the dream for um, sort of the, the broader... Um, set of, of folks working in this area is they, they want to increase lending without taking on more risk. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, yeah. um, you know, hopefully we've learned some lessons in uh, with with uh, with some of the things that happen in securitization of, of mortgages and thinking about low documentation loans. Um, the idea that, that you can simply um, boost lending without taking on more risk is, is very unlikely. And so, you know, the, the question that I have is how kind of valuable this information will be in terms of its predictive power. Right. I think there's some some interesting questions and and you know usually these this information is very proprietary so it's hard to know um, exactly how predictive these models are. Um, you know the, the fact that they're pushing uh, so aggressively in this direction and it seems like there's a lot of lender interest in this suggests that maybe there is some predictive value to it. Chris, what do you think that this potentially does, though? And mind you, a lot of people that are listening to us, there are quite a few people that don't even really have a, a, a FICO score. So how, how do you think that impacts them potentially? Well, I, it does strike me that this is going to uh, open up, you know, a few million uh, uh People to getting something that's akin to a traditional, you know, older FICO score because there may be some people out there who don't have credit cards uh, and don't have a mortgage or other traditional trade lines that are tracked on credit reports but do have access to bank accounts, and they could end up banking at a bank that's, you know, has an information sharing arrangement with. 
um, that, that speaks to this this FICO Ultra score. So there are some people who are currently not recognized by the credit scoring system that could get pulled into this, and some of them may have uh, you know positive features that that would um, you know look like make them look like desirable credit risks. But I think also some of them you know part of the reason they may not have trade lines is because they've been using alternative financial services, things like payday loans or pawn shops uh, that don't, many of whom do not report their information to Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion, the traditional credit reporting agencies. So uh, echoing the theme again here, uh, some of the people who are brought into the credit reporting system by this new scoring method will look positive from the perspective of lenders, but some of them are going to look negative. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be another thing that for people that want to manage their their reputation, so to speak, it's going to be another thing that they're going to have to sort of know about and, and be able to, to sort of interact with and, and, and um, shape to their own benefit. Ben? Ben? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of logic, again, coming back to... Uh coming back to providing more information and trying to better predict risk, um, if you think about how incomplete the, the current records are, if yeah. all I know about you is how you've repaid your credit card over the last four years, do I want to give you a $250,000 mortgage? Sure. Right? Yeah. You just don't have the information with a credit score alone. And that's why um, you know mortgage lenders do additional underwriting. Right, They're going to calculate your debt-to-income ratio. They're going to see you put down a down payment. Um, and so if you think about the kind of holy grail for for a lender, you, you want to know uh, something about uh, the their credit history. That's a nice thing to have. But you'd also like to know something about their assets. And this is what this this um, push forward with the ultra FICO score really provides. It provides something on the asset side. So if something were to come up, um, you know, do you have enough money in your checking account to make that next mortgage payment or that next auto loan payment? It still doesn't provide that much information on your income and your ability to correct to kind of collect I- income. And so I think you know as we see these systems push push forward, and this is kind of you know lenders um, outsource more and more of this to to, di- to different degrees. But you know they really want information on your credit history, on your income, and on your assets. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio one thirty two or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney twenty one. We're talking about uh, the new changes coming up to the FICO scores, the Ultra FICO, which will be coming out uh, at some point after the first of the year. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you can't get to your phone, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Ben Keyes from the Wharton School joining me in studio. Chris Peterson from the University of Utah joining us on the phone. Uh, you mentioned that, that obviously we're at a time right now where credit scores are incredibly important. They're even more so, I think, important uh, than they have been in the past because – you mentioned about having like a 750 score. Uh, we just got to the point recently, I think it was, what, about three or four months ago, where we saw the average FICO score was over 700 for the first time in the history of of the reporting, correct, Ben? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so the so the scores have gone up quite a bit um, in recent years, and the Wall Street Journal had a nice piece about this recently. Uh, and I think, you know, some of that is uh, is really a function of this tight, lending environment where only the most safe borrowers are getting credit and so they're building up their uh, they're building up their scores um, you know and I think it's also tricky to think about this problem and this is where this ultra FICO score is really trying to, to pull more people in um, this is the thin credit file problem so you were mentioning this before if you don't have much of a credit history yeah 
where should FICO put you initially on the credit score spectrum, right? Yeah. So yeah. they only see a little bit of information about you. Are you a 600 uh, score person or a 700 score person? It's very hard to know. Yeah. And, and FICO has changed over the years where they place those people, uh, sort of depending on the credit cycle as well. So it's not kind of an independent uh, thing, and it's and it's always sort of rescaled based on the amount of delinquency in the in the economy. And so as delinquencies have fallen across most uh, most types of credit, I think you know student loan delinquency stays quite high, and we've seen a tick up in um, in auto uh, defaults, especially in the subprime space. But generally, we're seeing a decline in delinquency rates. That's sort of all driving towards uh, stronger credit histories and yeah. a rise in scores. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a little different perspective there. I think that that um, uh, you know, it's it's good to bear in mind with respect to to people who are on the margins of of you know the credit scoring of credit scores that that the kind of credit that they have access to depends on the prices they're willing to pay and also the rules in each state about the kinds of interest rates that are permissible. So. In Pennsylvania, where the university, where you know Penn is, um, uh, there's an interest rate cap that's been in effect for a long time that excludes some of the highest uh, cost lenders. But that's not the case throughout much of the country. Right. Uh, uh, there are still nearly 20,000 uh, payday lender storefront locations around the country, and a lot of online payday lenders that are providing loans with average interest rates of 400 percent or more to consumers all across America, irrespective of whether or not they have high FICO scores. So we have lots and lots of credit out there in this country for people who have low credit, low or poor credit scores. Uh, and, and the problem, from my perspective, uh, is not just uh, you know what people's credit score, but whether or not we're also tolerating loans that are actually counterproductive for society. And right. One of the concerns that I have about the FICO Ultra Score is how are not just the mortgage lenders, but how are uh, installment lending companies, payday lenders, other kinds of alternative financial service providers, some of the fintech companies that are starting to push the boundaries of what I tend to view as potentially problematic credit, how are they going to use this new score to get into the um, pockets of people who may not be helped that much by uh, uh, higher cost loans? Uh, that is something that FICO has not really been talking about and I think remains to be seen. Now, here's the other question, and probably a lot of consumers w would ask this question, Chris, is that are we now going to have uh, two different credit scores? Are we going to have the traditional credit score that we were all used to and most of us check once a year for free, and then we're going to have this ultra FICO on top of it? Well, that's a great question. So I think it's actually there are already more than one credit score, and yeah. it's a bit of a misnomer. So there, the FICO has had a, a one score. Um, there's a Vantage score, which is another score that was put together by some of the credit reporting agencies yeah. to compete with the FICO score. And the thing to the thing to keep in mind is that that what what each of the big credit reporting agencies have is a is a very complex database that links together bits of information about you, and then you can query that database and pull out trade lines, compile them around a, a set of shared identity indicators. That might be your social security number or the last four digits of your social security number or your name or your address or some combination of all of those things. And then they apply an algorithm to produce yeah. a score based on different ways of drawing out information from that, uh, from that database. And so, yes, there's going to be, uh, FICO itself is going to now have two different scoring mechanisms drawn from different databases 
cases um, uh, or different profiles associated with you. And, and so what does that mean? Well, it means it's going to be harder to explain that to everybody. And uh, you know, this notion of, well, you have to check your credit report. Well, okay, so there are at least three different big credit reporting agencies yeah. plus a lot of other ones, and they all have different databases. And what your report is it depends on what information you're pulling out of that database. And you can have different scores that are drawn off of different polls or draws on that database. So it's all very complicated. Most consumers don't understand that, and it's very difficult for them to audit that information to make sure that it's all correct. And then there are inf- there isn't misinformation that could be potentially negatively affecting their score. Which then probably goes back to some of the concerns you have, you have voiced over the last 15 to 20 minutes or so of how this will end up impacting a, a variety of consumers o- over the next uh, few years moving forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we do have some laws that are supposed to protect us. Uh, the The Fair Credit Reporting Act gives you the right to go and audit uh, any sort of credit report that, uh, um, uh, you know, a score might be drawn from. But just because you have the right to go and audit it doesn't mean that you have the time or the, or, the, or the background information or the understanding of the system to actually be able to successfully do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder, you know, how is, are, are consumers going to have the wherewithal, and the knowledge to, to audit information about, that's collected on them about their spending and payment patterns with respect to their checking account? Um, that's the kind of thing that a lot of some consumers are familiar with, but how is it going to be presented? Uh, how is there access going to be insured? How are they going to be informed that they can go in and check and, and fix potential problems that are in there? Yeah. I mean, it, it, may, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it's completely insurmountable, but I think it has to be understood in the context of all the other things we're already supposed to do to keep, uh, keep on top of our finances. Ben? I completely agree with Chris. I mean, I think he's really highlighted, uh, to me, probably the, the two of the biggest concerns here. I mean, so one is the this issue with uh, with data privacy, um, and and then the other is is with um, is with basically the the bur- the additional burden on consumers for for monitoring these things. I think there, there's a third concern that I have, which is um, if you provide lenders with a huge number of scores um, and they can cherry pick whichever ones that they they want, yeah, um, you can see them. Uh, you know, being very strategic <laughs> in sure. selecting which score. Uh, you know, in the mortgage space, they've been very strict about. Uh, you know, you're generally supposed to report all three of your scores from from FIC, from the three main uh, credit uh, bureaus, and then you're supposed to take the middle score. That's supposed to be Correct. the score that's used when you underwrite a mortgage. Um, there was a sense in which that was not always used um, during the during the the run up uh, and the housing boom. Um, and I worry that if lenders can pick between a menu uh, of scores, you can sort of see the obvious race to the bottom, right? Yeah. They're, they're going to choose yep. the highest score, um, and that's going to put more risk into the system. And it's not going to succeed uh, in the way that they're describing, where they say, you know, we'll do more lending with no increase in risk. Or, or they can go the other way, and if they have a concern about a particular lender, take the lower credit score and just basically block the credit. That's right. That's right. You can use it in a, you have a lot more discretion in that in that case where you have a menu of scores to choose from. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I guess, Chris, kind of jumping on something you said a little while ago, I guess to a degree it's not a surprise that we are at this point where not only do we have the, the FICO score, but now this ultra FICO and, and the Advantage as well. And 
because of the the wealth of data that we have in our society right now, that there is going to be, and who knows, we may be in a couple of years talking about another score that, that kind of comes on the map as well, correct? Absolutely. You know, that's that's what's happening in China now. The the government is working with, you know, information collectors to create trustworthiness scores for uh, people in China. And, and they're um, you know, there are news reports coming out of China that this sort of scoring system is being used to screen out people from access to government services that in this country we have normally expected to be something that's a matter of right. Um, you know, and there are other fintech companies that I think are um, trying to push the boundaries of the kinds of data that they can use in conditioning credit. You know, ask yourself this. Suppose that, um, you know, mainstream lenders 10 years down the road start to uh, decide whether or not you should get access to a particular credit product based on your social media profile. Do you have enough friends on Facebook? Facebook? <laughs> How many followers do you have on Twitter? Is that going to be a legitimate factor, particularly when when there may be some people who don't want to engage in in uh, certain activities because you know it may be harmful or not what they want to do with their lives? Uh, and then uh, are we going to have mechanisms through which people People can audit that information. Uh, at what point does the collection of more uh, uh, data become so intrusive in our lives that the potential advantages we get from fine-tuning risk on uh, credit or insurance decisions, uh, are, are they outweighed by these monitoring and privacy concerns? Um, I think it's a legitimate question, and it's something that Congress has not really grappled with, and our existing laws don't really take on. The other part to it also is the hiring. I mean, we're already seeing companies that that are concerned on the types of people they bring in, and with extra information, you know, this is going to be another resource, Chris, to you know potentially impact hiring decisions down the road. Yes, credit scores are something that it's legal and permissible for uh, lenders to check, or sorry, for employers to check before they decide to give you a job, um, which is it's always been very troubling to me, particularly when we are a country that doesn't provide the kind of safety net that most countries, most advanced industrialized countries provide for people. So your wife gets cancer, your spouse or your child gets cancer, you're, you don't have sufficient insurance or health care coverage to cover the bills, then all of a sudden somebody who has led an exemplary uh, life always following the rules and does yeah. nothing other than try to make sure their loved one is taken care of in a, a moment of health crisis, has a low credit score, and has a harder time getting a job. Um, but, you know, from the lender's perspective, well, yeah, but that shows that you're not yep. a good credit risk, I guess. Or, or does it just show that you, somebody got, your family got sick? Um, uh, you know, th- these are some of the side effects where overall across a large lending pro- pro- portfolio, some of these credit decisions make a lot of sense from the perspective of the lender. But there right. may be individual families and lives that are really ground to powder in, in the gears, Great having you with us today, Chris. Thank you very much. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Dan. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Ben, great seeing you again. Thank yeah, you for thanks. coming on. Ben Keyes from here at the Wharton School. Chris Peterson from the University of Utah. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.